Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are excited to have you here, and it's an honor that you chose to worship with us right here at OSC. Well, all summer long, we've been talking about wisdom, and I'm not sure if you've enjoyed this series, but I know Pastor Jacob, myself, Pastor David have, because I've learned so much, even just preaching it, but also listening to Pastor Jacob. And we've been learning, if you've been here, if not, you can go back online and you can search all of these messages on wisdom, but we've been learning how to gain wisdom through this instruction manual called the Bible. And we've been learning what it means, how to guard our words, how to guard our heart, the greatest treasure that the Bible tells us, how to have the principle of honor, how that there there comes harm in isolation and what the Bible calls leprosy. And we've been learning and getting this, getting wisdom from a book in the Bible called Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by a king. His name was Solomon. Now, God blessed Solomon with wisdom, and he's the second man, the Bible says, the second man besides Jesus to ever walk the earth. And so he wrote an instruction manual, not just to be successful, but how to live wisely. And we've been applying these principles and these axioms, these proverbs to our lives, and really seeing what wisdom does, not only for us, but watch this, to us. And so today... I want to talk about something that Solomon said was the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? It means if you don't get this right, then you won't get anything else right. Because it's the beginning. And that word beginning is powerful. Matter of fact, it was in the beginning that God created Adam and Eve. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to to know the, the story. But in the beginning... God created everything and he created Adam and Eve and he put them in this perfect garden, this wonderful, amazing garden. And if you know the story, you know that he told them they can do whatever they want. They have free reign over all the the, the entire garden. You can eat, you can sleep, you can dance, you can play, you can do whatever. But he gave them one command. And what did he say? He said, don't eat from that tree. You can have any other tree, but don't eat from that one. And you know how the story ends because me and you, we all suffer from it, is that they chose to disobey God and they fell by picking from that tree and eating and disobeying God. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering this question, why? Why would they do that? Is it because they didn't know God? No, the Bible says They knew him. They spoke with him face to face. Well, is it because maybe they didn't love God? No, I don't think that's it. I believe Adam and Eve loved God. Well, maybe it's because they didn't hear God. That's not true because as they walked with him, they heard him. But I believe, listen to this, it was because they chose to live not in the fear of God. It had nothing to do with whether they love him, know him, or heard him. It had to do with they chose not to live in the fear of God. In the fear of God. Now, they decided that to, to give more weight to the voice of the serpent than the source of all life. They decided that they would rather listen to the father of lies than the father of heaven. They chose not to fear God. Solomon says this, that if you want wisdom, 
that if we want wisdom, listen, it begins with fear. And it's such a thing that we don't even realize that we sit here and we go, well, 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 what do you mean, Pastor Chris? Because I know what you're thinking. When you hear the word fear, you think of scary movie cowering in the corner, right? You think of monsters under your bed, right? You think of monsters in the closet. Oh, no. Like, that's what you're thinking when we think of fear of God. We, we think that it's about cowering in fear. But the Bible clearly says, listen to this, the Bible clearly says that the fear of God is to stand in awe of who he is is to stand up and just go, oh my goodness, you're amazing, God. You're wonderful. I cannot believe that you actually love me. Because how many know there is such thing as a healthy fear? Does anybody know that? Yes? Okay, I'll give you an example. My, uh, we live right now, our house, we live in front of a busy highway, big road. It's not even a highway, but a road. Cars are zooming back and forth, and we have five young kids, and we tell them this, Stay in the backyard. Do not go in the front yard or you will run out in the road and get hit by a car and die, 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 die. Now, what am I doing? Am I scaring my kids? In a way. (laughs) Why? Because I want to make sure they know that if you go outside of the bounds, it will hurt you. It will hurt you. So I want you to fear what's out there. I want you to fear the consequences. I want you to fear it. Listen to me. And this is the way that God does it with us. He puts up these guardrails of commands and they're high guardrails. And he goes, I'm not putting them up to hold you in. I'm putting them up so that you don't get out there. Because if you get out there, I can't help you. Because if you get out there, it's going to be too late. And not only are you going to harm yourself, you're going to harm other people. I don't want you to get there. So you can't walk in wisdom, listen to this, unless there's a foundation of fear to say, God is for me, he is with me, I fear that without him I am nothing and I don't want to go outside of his bounds. That's a healthy fear. That's that's what a good father does. Because you know what a good father does? Watch this. He provides and he protects. He provides and he protects. It's why God gave the Ten Commandments and one of the commandments, you shall not kill, We all know that was like, duh, God, you didn't have to make that one, but okay. But watch this. The command wasn't just for us to preserve our life. It was also to preserve our neighbor's life as well. So it was harm on both sides that we would avoid those things. Because if I'm just being honest, how many of y'all know, we sometimes think, and let's just be honest in church, okay? If you lie, you fry. That's what I've heard, okay? We sometimes think of God as a cosmic killjoy don't we? It's like, he's taking all the fun out of life. I just want to do me. What does is, what is that saying even mean? I don't know. I just want to be me. I want to do me. And we just want to kind of do whatever we want. Well, God won't let me do, or I can't do this. And we begin to name all of these things. But I want to ask you something. And I want you to really think back here. You're going to have to kind of tune into your nostalgia for a second is, let me ask you something. Who do you respect the most in your life? Don't say it out loud. Don't go, oh, it's this, it's this person, this person. I I don't want you to say it, but I just want you to think back. Who do you respect the most in your life? Many of you might say your parents, and that's an awesome thing to do. 
thinking back, I probably respect my mom the most, a single mother of, of two boys on a teacher's salary. She is God sent to me, prayed for me every single day as a wayward child. She believed I would come back to the Lord. She believed all of these things and she stuck to it. And so I respect her the most. And, and I was thinking back to when you're a kid and you're around your friends and you're trying to be cool and to fit in. Now, all of us have been there and you're trying to fit in and, and your friends tell you to do something that you know your parents would kill you if they find out. <laughs> How many remember that thing that you go like, my mom would kill me if she knew I did this? I know I'm thinking of something, whether it's like egging a house or playing with matches or, or fireworks or, or whatever it is. I remember my thing one time, my friends asked me to do something that I knew. It wasn't that wrong, but I thought it was like, the we- I, no way. They're like, hey, sneak out. I'm like, no. We're going to go roll a house, TP a house, toilet paper. Does anybody know what that means? You just make it rain toilet paper everywhere. And I was like, my mom would kill me. Now, when we say that term, we all know that our parents wouldn't actually kill us, right? We know that. Somebody last service said, yeah, they would. (laughs) Here's what we're really saying. We're saying that actually it wouldn't kill us. It would kill them. It would hurt them. It would punish them that it wouldn't be just what it does to me. It would be about how it disappointed them. It would hurt them. And that's the part that God is saying to us. He's saying, what you don't understand is you think I'm trying to lock you down, but really what I'm trying to do is to get you to stay within the bounds because if you go outside, sin hurts. Now, why does God Why is sin so bad to God? Listen to this. Simple, but it's profound. Because sin ruined the pleasure and the plan of God for all mankind, for me and you. It separated us. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it separated us from our creator. And that chasm, that that guilt, that shame, that fear that it brought. But Romans says it also brought something we were never supposed to experience. In Romans 6, it says the wages of sin is death. So not only did it bring fear, guilt, and shame, but sin came in and brought death. Death. Because God never intended for us to die. It's why when we go to funerals, and I've done more funerals in this past couple of months for some reason than I've done in the past four years. And it breaks my heart every time to see up at this altar a wife weeping over her husband, a four-year-old weeping over her daddy who passed away, weeping. And God never intended us to die. We were supposed to live with him forever in the garden. We just messed it up bad. (laughs) We messed it up. And so we long for this. We were never supposed to go to funerals of our parents. We were never supposed to have memorials. We were never supposed to put RIP on the back of our trucks to our loved ones. We were never supposed to do that. God never intended that. But sin brought irreversible pain into this world. And so in order for God to stop the utter destruction of sin, of mankind, it would cost God, his son, and Jesus his life. Because sin separated us, but God had to send an atonement. 
That's why we celebrate in communion the body and the blood of Jesus. But listen to me. I want you to understand something. Sin might have killed the first Adam, but Jesus, the second Adam, had to die redeem us from all sin, from all mankind. So the question is, why does God hate sin? Let me ask you a question. Would someone whose son was killed in a drunk driving accident ever laugh or make light of someone's drinking and driving? No. Matter of fact, the story that I heard the other day goes like this. That there was a family who had an 18-year-old that graduated from high school. And this 18-year-old decided to have a little fun and to get drunk. And he got drunk and he got in his car and he drove and he ended up dying in an accident. But his family was so bent and so hurt on making sure that no one else was going to have this pain that they decided to launch their own mission to say that we want to find out who provided this, our 18-year-old underage drinking, provided alcohol to him. So they went to every convenience store and they would send in kids and they would underage kids to see if they would sell it to them and they would bust them. Convenience stores, gas stations, they shut down so many places in this small town. And they began to get on this mission to say that we're going to do this for our son so no one can feel the pain because we know how it feels. Somebody else wrecked our son's life. Somebody else wrecked our lives because they decided to sell alcohol to this underage kid. One day, the story goes that the father is sitting there in his office at home, and he decides to pour himself a drink. So he reaches up in the top cabinet, and as he opens the shelf to where the liquor cabinet is, all of a sudden, the note, this note falls to the ground. And he picks up the piece of paper, and on this piece of paper, it says, hey, dad, I know you wouldn't approve of this, but I went ahead and took a bottle to celebrate my graduation. I just wanted to let you know, I love you. Signed, his son. Too many times we look at sin and we point it out all around us. And especially this day and age. Can I just tell you? We point out every little sin that we see all around us. But what we don't ever point out is the sin within me. We don't see, listen. It might have been Adam's sin that killed the first Adam. But it was my sin and your sin that killed the second Adam, Jesus. That's just the truth. And in our day and age, I'm just going to be very transparent. We've lost the fear of the Lord. We've lost the fear of the Lord. We've lost because we're so worried about what might happen to us. We forgot the fear of the Lord is always there to guide us in our wisdom. We're so fearful of what can happen outside of us. We're we're so fearful of what a vaccine or virus can do instead of being fearful of what God will do. And we've lost it. And I'll just say this. I think the church as a whole has lost the fear of God because we think the love of God and the fear of God can't go together. Couldn't be further from the truth. If you think God is all love and no fear, you're wrong. You see half of God. You don't have the full measure of God. Watch this. God is full love, but he's also full wrath. What do you think Jesus was on the cross? He was receiving the full wrath and the payment of our sins. The full wrath of God being poured out upon him. We've lost the fear of God. But the question is, what is the fear of the Lord then? 
Here's what Proverbs 8 says, and this is so big. Solomon says it this way. Wisdom pours into you. Get get an image, a picture of that. Wisdom pours into you. If you want wisdom poured into you, but wisdom will pour into you when you begin to hate every form of evil in your life, for that's what worship and fearing God is all about. Solomon says, if you want wisdom poured into you, hate the things that God hates. Hate sin. Because God hates sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sin. Some of y'all are taking this real personal this morning going, oh, God, I, God hates me? He doesn't hate me. He loves me. No, God hates the sin inside you and me. But he's so gracious and merciful that he gives us an opportunity to experience his love too. You see, you want the fullness of God. This is the fullness of God. This is who God is. Because God hates sin. In order for us to have the fear of God, we need to hate sin. And listen to me. The fear of God in our life is not measured by our attitude towards God. It's measured by our attitude towards sin. I'm going to say that again. The fear of God is not measured by our attitude towards God. It's measured by our attitude towards sin. Meaning this, if you're messing around with sin, you're showing God that you don't really fear him. Or or John Maxwell, I love the leadership quote that John Maxwell, a friend of this house, he says it this way, the way you do it is the way you view it. That sounds like John too. Think about it for a second. The way you do it is the way you view it. Meaning if you hate sin, you will show it by the way that you live. You will hate every form of sin in your life. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it means you'll destroy and try to kill, try to take out every single sin that could be in your life, in your mind, not just with your hands, but in your heart, towards your neighbor, unforgiveness, whatever it is, greed, pride, arrogance. Or as the Puritan says, you need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is the truth that we lack the fear of the Lord. But I have good news. You want to hear good news? Some of y'all are like, this is doom and gloom. I shouldn't have come to the 11 a.m. Here's what it is. I just want to give you truth. Because if we're looking at things around us all the time, there will be fear of the world and we will lose our fear of God. I just want to point us in the right direction. A good shepherd points his sheep into the right direction. We are on a path, a dangerous path, church, that if we're not careful, we will look more at this outside world and what it's doing to us instead of the God who owns and rules and reigns over everything. We will lose the fear of God. And we need to get back this fear of God. But can I tell you? Can I tell you how you know you're walking in the fear of the Lord? Who wants to know? How, how do I know if I'm walking in the fear of the Lord? Samuel, I don't even want to put your hands up right now. I'll give you evidence. There's always evidence. So I want, you to, I want you to test this. I want you to judge this. There's always evidence. The first thing is this. When you're walking in the fear of the God, there's obedience to God. There's obedience to God. Many of you know I have five beautiful kids that are all the way from the ages nine to two. Continue to pray for Michelle and I, please, as we try to steward our kids. But, and we try to do it the best that we can, right? We have beautiful kids. But kids, if you know, coming out, they're evil at the core of who they are. We know this, right? We know that they're evil. They come out, they have evil natures. They say no as their first word and not yes. We know that. 
But think about it. We never really teach obedience. We command obedience, don't we? As parents, sometimes we're trying to teach obedience and we don't even know what to teach. And so Michelle and I have been learning and we've been implementing this for the past few years of what it really, a holistic definition of obedience for our kids. And you can take this, parents, if you want to, you can use this. But here's what we tell them. That obedience, what we want to teach in obedience, and we use a little phrase, phrasing with it and a little song. I'm not going to sing for you guys, but I'm just, it's, it's cute, okay? I'm just saying. But here are the four, four phrases. First time, every time, all the way with the happy heart. All right? First time. No, I'm not going to do it to you, okay? But think about it, That's true obedience. We're teaching our kids that if you want to be obedient, you do it the first time I tell you to do it. It's not the second or the third time. If I'm repeating myself, that's called disobedience. That that first time, every time. It's not sometimes when you feel like it. It's every time. When I say it, I want you to do it. The first time, every single time. So it's first time, every time. I want you to do it all the way. How many parents know you got kids? Then when you go, hey, put your laundry away. And they're like, okay. And they kick it. And they kind of get it near the basket. And they're like, that's good enough. You know, they walk away. Here's what I tell my kids. That's not all the way. That's disobedience. But not only is it first time, every time, all the way, you can do all those things. Watch this. If you don't have a happy heart, it's disobedience. See, some of us tithe and we know we're supposed to do it the first time, every time, all the way, but we don't do it with a happy heart. (laughs) I got to give this week. The Bible says God loves a joyful giver. But see, that's, that's obedience. Why is this important? It's important because I want to teach my kids that when you get 25 years old and there's a call of God on your life to be a missionary and to go over to Africa or to go and to love your neighbor who's hurting or to pray for a coworker or a friend or to go and be a teacher to teach kids and to bring God back into our schools, I want them to hear the voice of God and say, I'll obey it the first time, every time, all the way with the happy heart, God. Because they walk and know and they live in the fear of God that he is good, he is amazing, he is wonderful, he is always with me, and I fear what will happen if I don't obey him. Not to me. Watch this. He doesn't do it to me, but what will happen to myself? What I'll do to myself. It's walking in the fear of the Lord. Many people want to hear from God, but they don't want to do for God. I just want to hear from the Lord. The Lord tells you something hard to do. You're like, whoa, I don't know if I can do that, God. But can I just be honest? God wants to bring us to a point where it's not about what he says. It's about who is saying it. The most important thing is not actually what he says. God can accomplish anything he wants, but he's choosing, choosing to use us. And so we get to stand in awe and the fear of who he is. And we get to walk in that because we know who is telling us to do that thing. And it's our heavenly father. It's about who, not about the what. So we walk in obedience to God. Can I tell you who knew that in the Bible? His name was Abraham. If you know the the Bible a little bit, you know that Abraham was a man of God, the father of, of all religious nations, beliefs. And what came out of him was many nations. But in actuality, Abraham was told to leave, so he left, started his own little area in his own little place. And as he got there, he couldn't have any kids. 
And so the Lord came to him one time and he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he kind of laughed, him and Sarah laughed. Well, eventually he had a son named Isaac. Now think about it. You can't have kids. Some of you have been here and then you have kids and you're just, they're your whole life. They're your treasure. They're your joy. So Abraham had a, a child named Isaac, but then God told him something very difficult to do. He said, I want you to take your son. I want you to go to sacrifice him on this mountain for me. So we don't know the expression of Abraham at the time. We don't know what his body language was. All we know is he took his son by the hands and he went up. He had a knife in one hand. He had a son in the other. And he walked up that mountain. And if you know the story, it ends like this, where he goes and he is about to strike his son down. And the angel of the Lord stops him. And he says this, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel says. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. For you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Listen to me. God's not calling you to put your kids on the altar, okay? He's not calling you to sacrifice your kids. But when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we're willing to give up whatever, whenever, wherever. Why? Because we know he's going to provide where we can't. He does it every time. We walk in the fear of the Lord because our obedience is the true measure of the fear of God. The second thing is this. There's evidence. It's not just obedience, It's not just obedience, but there's evidence that there's more fear of God than the fear of man. Come on. When you're walking in the fear of the God, there's more fear of God than the fear of man. I'm going to be very open and honest with you this morning. Can I, can I, can I open the veil a little bit? Can I be transparent? I struggle with this as a preacher. I struggle with this. Because coming out of the profession I was in, in, in the NFL, performance was everything. The saying would go, you're only as good as your last performance, right? So you had to perform each and every single Sunday in order to keep your job. That's what I did. I performed each and every single Sunday. So part of me tried to translate that onto the stage, onto preaching, that you're only as good as your last sermon, right? Now think about the flawed aspect of that. That makes me a performer and entertainer for you. Listen, watch this. I'm not an entertainer. You know what I am? I'm a waiter. What do you mean? All I'm doing is serving up what God is dishing out. That's all I'm doing. I'm not a performer. Well, he didn't make me laugh today. Well, I I just, I wanted to clap more. I really just, it was okay. How many of you walked away? Don't lie. How many of you by show of hands have said that about me? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Totally kidding. But think about this. I struggle with the fact that maybe afterwards I'm going, well, no one really came up to me and said it was a good sermon, so maybe it wasn't. Now, I'm, walk, I'm trying to walk in the fear of the Lord, but I'm more worried about the fear of man and what they think than anything else. And the problem is this, and we all do it. I'm, I, we could say in here, hey, who cares about what people think? Everyone does. Some of you macho men might go, I don't care what anybody thinks. It's a lie. You're not that macho, I promise you. You care what people think. And oftentimes we care more about what people think than what God thinks. And it holds us back every time. Here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 29, 25. I love this. The fear of man, listen to me, will prove to be a snare. What does that mean? 
we got hunters in here. We got some hunters. We, we got some Cajun hunters. You, you know what a trap is. You know what a snare is. You catch some weird things, right? We know that. But what does a snare do? Watch this. It holds you back and holds you down. It means you can't break free of it. It means it's going to cap you at some point. It means when you worry about people and what they think more than what God is commanding you to do and what God thinks, it will hold you back from your growth every single time. When you're worried about what your neighbor might say because you praise Jesus in your house, then you cap yourself every time. And there's no growth to that moving forward. And it's a snare it holds you back. But watch this. If the fear of man is a trap, then watch this. The fear of God sets you free. Then the fear of God sets you free. The fear of God sets you free. It doesn't hold you down. It sets you free because the fear of God says the greatest desire is God's smile upon my life, even if it makes you frown. That I would rather have God smile on me and you frowning than you smiling and God frowning. It's not that I don't love people. It's just I love God a lot more. The fear of God. But then the last thing is this. It's not just obedience, the evidence. It's not just fearing God more than fearing man. But when there's the fear of God, number three, there's friendship with God. There's friendship with God. Psalm 25 says it like this. The psalmist says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. I want you to see what it's not saying. It's not saying the friendship of the Lord is for those who love him. It's not saying the friendship of those is for those who adore him. Listen to what it's not saying. It's saying when you have a healthy fear, when you stand in awe and reverence of who God is, knowing he is good, he is great, but he is also full wrath and full love, all of a sudden God can pull you closer to him. Why? Because you know who he is and you trust him. He can reveal more of himself to you because you understand how to posture your heart, how to posture yourself, how you walk in the fear of the Lord and not what anybody else thinks that I live by faith and not by sight, that I'm not going to listen to the trash of this world. I'm going to listen to the word of God that he wants what's life for me. Come on. You see, the crazy part about fear is we think fear pushes away. The fear of God does not push you away. The fear of God pulls us closer to him. Listen to me. Because when you come to God and you go, I'm nothing, I'm small, I fear you, God. The Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. It's not you. It's God will do it. You take a low posture and a low position. You fear God more than anything else. And watch what he does. He says, I'll exalt you. Matter of fact, I'll make you a friend and I'll reveal secrets to you that no one else knows. Why? Because he can trust you because you take the lowest position. You see, the 
fear of God is the most foolproof way of living a life of wisdom. Walking in the fear of the Lord each and every single day is the most foolproof way of living a life of wisdom. But any good father, and I love this about God, I love this about God, is that when he calls us to do something, it always, I haven't found anything, and if you found anything in here that proves otherwise, it always benefits us in the long run, doesn't it? Anytime God calls us to do something, humble yourself. Well, I don't want to do that, but if you do, I'll exalt you. Oh, okay, that sounds good now. Think about it. He calls, anytime he calls us to do something, it always benefits us. Pastor Chris, what are the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord? Here's what Solomon says. He says, for if you, if you keep seeking it like a man would seek for sterling silver, searching in hidden places for cherished treasure, then you will discover the fear of the Lord. He's saying when you search for it, when you knock on the door, when you yearn for it, the treasure of God's heart, when you continue to go after it, even when the world says, stop, you're missing it. Be fearful of this, but you're going, no. It said you won't discover wisdom. You'll discover the fear of the Lord. That there's something more to this that we're missing. And no one wants to speak about this because it's not fun. But can I just tell you, this is liberating to many of us. Here's what he says. You'll discover the fear of the Lord. You'll find true knowledge of God. Verse six, for wisdom is a gift from a generous God. And every word he speaks is full of revelation and becomes a fountain of understanding within you. For the Lord has a hidden storehouse of wisdom made accessible to his godly ones. Listen to this. Here's where the benefit is. You ready? And he becomes your personal bodyguard. Come on, somebody. He becomes your personal bodyguard as you follow his ways, protecting and guarding you as you choose what is right. I don't know about you. I've never had a personal bodyguard. I'm just saying. And I know none of y'all have. Just I know that already, okay? Think about it. Personal bodyguard, what do they do? They follow you around everywhere you go. Right? I consider these guys, I'm thinking of like the president of the United States, the Secret Service. Those guys are just like walking around in cool sunglasses and like they're just following them around. They're personal bodyguards. They begin to protect, to guard, to guide. They're going, sir, don't go this way. There's, there's this over here, go this way. And he begins to go that way. And then they're like, no, I need to step in front of you. There's harm. They're looking for harm. They're looking for something that's going to get in the way and harm you. And their number one job is to keep you safe, to keep you on your way, to keep you, watch this, uninterrupted from what God has for you. Uninterrupted. So watch this. So what is the presence? What does what walking in the fear of the Lord give us? What are the benefits? It gives us the presence of the Lord. He'll never leave you or forsake you. The personal bodyguard is standing right next to you, looking at you going, I got you. You're good. Don't worry about it. You're all right. I'm going to protect you. But it doesn't just give us the presence of the Lord. Watch this. It gives us the power of the Lord. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, it gives us the power of the Lord. 
It gives us his power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. It says lives inside of me and you. He's my personal bodyguard. And there's power. I'm not weak. Actually, in my weakness, it makes him strong. There's power. But it doesn't just give you the presence of God or the power of God. It gives you the protection of the Lord. Too many of us have been fighting our battles lately. The Bible says God fights your battles. Let me be the defender, he said. Let me be the defender. So God wants to give you his presence, his power, and his protection when we walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound like the boogeyman. That sounds like a father. And what we desperately need, let me just be honest, we need to regain what we've lost, many of us have lost or never even realized, which is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, I wish what came after this was the next steps. Hey, let me give you the four-step process to being walking in the fear of the Lord, you know? That would really sound good. It would go in a nice book with a nice cover with me on it doing this. It would, it would be amazing. Or like this, walking in the fear, you know? Think about it for a second. If I could do that, I would. But can I just tell you, this isn't information this morning. We need impartation this morning. We need visitation from God because how many know more is caught than taught? I can teach you what is the fear of the Lord, but listen to me. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to pray coming like a fire, coming like a flood. We need the fear of the Lord to impart it to us. We're not going to walk away coward. We're going to walk away more empowered than we ever have before because of it. This is so big. And if you don't desperately seek after it, God says you have not because you ask not. So just ask. Listen to me. If we want revival in our family, in our lives, in our churches, it will always start with seeking and desperately seeking after God. But if you're willing to live without him, we'll never see revival. I don't know about you. I need to wake up in the morning every single day and go, God, I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. If I walk by just what I see or what I feel, I am wrong. I want to walk by your word. I want to fear it, God, because I know you love me that much.